It is good to see everyone out tonight. I'm truly thankful to be here at Pippin tonight, and I hope that some of the things we look at can be beneficial to us in our lives as Christians. I'm totally grateful and completely thankful for the invitation to come. Uh, I'm just always thankful anytime I have the opportunity to, to speak God's Word, especially as in a congregation such as this one where you are all so friendly. And I've just got to say before we get started, that singing was awesome tonight, wasn't it? It has been so good so far. I love singing, and um, this congregation has really excellent singing, and that's something I noticed right off the bat. So getting started tonight, before we get into the lesson, I want to read something I found on the internet that sort of, sort of gets us in, introduced to my subject tonight. It's a story. It goes something like this. The year was 1910. After a rough and snowy winter, an unusually hot and dry spring season hit the northern Rockies. Small spot fires were commonplace to these areas, but this was different. The first wildfires in the northern Rockies flared up in the unheard of month of April. The drought persisted into summer, and by late June and early July, crews were already patrolling the forest reserves, as the national forests were then called, putting out dozens of spot fires. By late July and early August, thousands of fires were smoldering deep in the mountains of Idaho, Montana, and Washington. By mid-August, thousands of firefighters, including thousands of army troops, were out in the mountains. Most were already exhausted from cutting fire lines, essentially trenches, for miles through the wilderness. The rangers were only too aware that hundreds of small fires were still alive, creeping along through the brush. The rangers' biggest fear was that a big wind would whip up all these fires simultaneously into flame. And on August 20th of 1910, that's exactly what happened. Fire crews deep in the forest noticed with apprehension that the wind was freshening from the southwest. By midday, it was a full-blown gale on the mountain ridges. The crews knew the winds boded ill, but it wasn't until that afternoon that they looked up to see a truly horrifying sight. Huge black clouds, like giant inky thunderheads blotting out the sun. These were clouds of smoke, ash, and cinders carried high aloft by giant roaring updrafts. It meant that those hundreds of small fires across all these different regions had flared, marched, and in many cases joined up together and created a massive chain reaction of fuel, flame, and oxygen. It was a true firestorm, massive enough to create its own roaring vortexes. Witnesses estimated clouds of smoke and ash 2,000 feet in the air. As the raging fire rampaged on, People all across northeast Washington, northern Idaho, and western Montana could do nothing but hunker down and hide. Over the next two days, entire towns were destroyed by this fire. One-third of the town called Wallace, Idaho, was completely burned down to the ground, and this was an estimated one billion dollars, or one million, excuse me, in losses. And this was in 1910, so that's a lot of loss there. And not only this, but 85 to 87 people were believed to have been dead because of this fire. See, this fire was called the Great Fire of 1910. And it was called Great for a reason, because it engulfed an area of land equal to the whole size of the state of Connecticut. But despite this, that Great Fire had very small beginnings. Other than the weather itself, experts believe the main causes for this fire were sparks and cinders from railroad trains hitting the ground. So something so insignificant as a spark touching the ground eventually led to whole cities being leveled. And yet, whether we realize it or not, we as individuals can single-handedly start more destructive fires today. Not a physical wildfire, which is no doubt powerful, but a spiritual one. And I think we know, you know where we're going with this. We sang angry words earlier. It's the tongue. And we can read about this in James chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. James chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. 
James chapter 3, and we'll read verses 1 through 12. Here we read James say, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men, who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so." Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. We read James talking about the tongue here, and we can immediately see the severity of the subject that he's dealing with, the serious nature of the tongue and what it can do. He likens the tongue into an unruly evil, a deadly poison, and a fire. And he's not trying to say that the tongue is innately evil just by itself, but he's saying the things that the tongue produces are what can cause us a lot of trouble. So tonight, I want to briefly look at a few ways that we often find ourselves using our speech that is sinful, and then after that, look at a few ways of how we can remedy these problems in our lives. The first tongue I want to look at tonight is the profane tongue, and this is something that we deal with almost on a daily basis in our country. You know, in our society, whether it's when we're watching television, watching a movie, listening to music, or even just in passing conversation, profanity seems like something that we really just can't escape. And in our society, it is not only generally accepted, but in a lot of cases, it's also, it's also applauded. And that's really a shame. But we as Christians have to look at what God says on this issue. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. You know, these things we see in the world on a daily basis, this perverse speech, this profane speech. Paul says here that, When you're a Christian, you're to put off these things. Those things are not to be found among you anymore. Also turn me to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. Colossians 3 and verse 8. Another verse on profane speech. Here we read, But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, Filthy language out of your mouth. 
Paul's trying to paint a picture here that when you put off that old man of sin, when you become a Christian, from that point forward, profane speech is not to be found in you. He listed along with things like anger, wrath, and malice, profane speech. It's just as important to avoid this as it is any other sin. You know, when we see someone out in public and they use profane speech, I don't think that any of us would have the immediate thought, oh, that person must be a faithful Christian. Usually it's the exact opposite. If I hear someone using filthy language when I'm out in public somewhere, then I'm going to think, this person doesn't know God, or he must not because he's not acting like what a Christian should. And that's the exact persona that we display when we use filthy language. Think about Peter. When, when he was being asked, are you a disciple of Christ? He was asked three times, and the first two times he denied it. And then the final time, he began cursing and swearing and saying, I do not know him. And I think when we use that filthy language in our lives, we are portraying the exact same thing, that we don't know Christ. So in our lives as Christians, let's always try our best to have pure speech, seasoned with salt, that people, when they talk to us, they know that we're different. And when they do that, I think we're accomplishing what we set out to do. The next tongue I want to look at, just briefly, is the deceptive tongue, or the lying tongue. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, where we have the first recorded lie, lying has been a problem for mankind. You see, it was the serpent who lied to Eve, which really caused the first sin, because she believed him, and she, of course, sinned because of that. But lying has always been a problem, and it continues to be one today. You know, I doubt there's anyone in this building who at some point in their life or another has not told a lie. I know I, I know I couldn't say that I haven't because I have. And I think that's something that we all do at some point in our life. But a lot of times, once again, in our society, lies are looked at, oh, that little white lie, that's not going to amount to anything. But God doesn't think that way about lying at all. So let's take a few minutes to look at a few scriptures about lying and see what God thinks about lying and a lying tongue. Turn me to Proverbs 12. Proverbs chapter 12. And verse 22. Proverbs 12, verse 22. Here we'll read what the wise man Solomon said. He said this, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. You know, a lot of times when I think about abomination to the Lord, I might think about sexual immorality or homosexuality. That's a lot of the time that's what we think of when we hear abomination to the Lord. But along with this, in verse 22 of Proverbs chapter 12, it says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. We are not to have that among us if we want to be a righteous person and live a faithful life to God. We cannot have lying lips. God delights in those who deal truthfully. And as Christians, we must do the same. Turn me to Colossians 3 again, and we're going to look at verse 9 this time. Colossians 3, verse 9. <clears throat> this is just after the verse that we read earlier. Colossians 3, verse 9. We read Paul say, Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Paul makes it clear that since you have put off the old man, once you are a Christian, you are a New Testament follower of Christ. You are not to lie to one another. You are to be honest with one another. Because when you think about it, God's very nature is to be 100% truthful. God cannot tell a lie. The Bible tells us that. And if we are Christians and we're trying to live a life following after Him and trying to become more like Him, 
then we can't do that either. We've got to be honest. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to slip up from time to time because there's going to be times when we're going to fail. But if we repent and get back up, we can overcome that. But as Christians, we have to try our best to avoid that deceptive tongue that can get us in a lot of trouble. One more verse on this, on this particular subject. Um, Revelation 21 and verse 8, a, a passage that I know almost all of us learn from the time we're very little. Revelation 21 verse 8. <clears throat> Let's see what, what the Bible says about liars in this passage. <clears throat> but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That shows you the severity of, of lying and the consequences of it. A, someone that's a liar that does not repent of that before they leave this earth will be punished for that, just like someone who's sexually immoral, a homosexual, murders, all those things that are listed with that. God makes it very clear that lying is a sin just like any other. And as Christians, we are to not have that in our lives. We are to be honest. You know, lying can get us in a lot of trouble because a lot of times when we lie, one lie leads to another lie to cover up the last lie, and so on and so forth. And that can get us in a lot of trouble as Christians. So it's best if we'll always remember to be honest with people. And that way we can be more like God and we can keep ourselves from a lot of trouble in our lives. The last one I want to look at tonight is the hurtful tongue. And I want to spend a little bit more time looking at this one. Because I feel that the hurtful tongue maybe is the one that can cause the most damage in our lives. You know... I think there's all, there, each one of us have had a point in our life when we've said something to someone in conversation and we wanted to take it back. As soon as we said it, we realized what we'd said. But at that point, it was too late. I heard a good illustration on this just the other day and I had to include it tonight because I felt that it really drove the point home. When you have a bottle of toothpaste or a tube of toothpaste and you just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze all the toothpaste out of this tube. And it's easy to do that. You can get a cup and squeeze that toothpaste into that cup, and it may take you a minute or two. And it's no problem. But the problem occurs is if you try to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Because when you think about it, it just wouldn't work. It would be very much harder and almost impossible to do so. And it's the same way when we talk to someone and we say something that's hurtful to them. When we speak out those words into existence, we simply can't take them back. The damage is already done. And so tonight, let's look at the hurtful tongue and what the Bible says about it. Turn with me to James chapter 4 and verse 11. James chapter 4, verse 11. <clears throat> Here we read, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James says here, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. You know, I think a lot of times, maybe that's what some people, why some people that aren't Christians get turned off when they attend services or uh you know, in conversation with other Christians is because they realize that a lot of times Christians are so busy talking bad about each other that they aren't spending their time edifying and building up. And that's something that I think we find ourselves doing a lot of times. But James says here not to tear one another down, not to speak evil of one another. And I think that a lot of times we find ourselves doing that. And we've got to get away from that because the Bible clearly says that's something that we are not to do as Christians. 
Turn with me back a page or two to James chapter 1, verse 26. James 1, verse 26. We're going to look at a couple of passages from James chapter 1 about the hurtful tongue. James 1, verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Yeah, we read at the start tonight that no man can tame the tongue. No one's going to be able to never stumble with their speech. I know I haven't. But James says here that if we don't try to bridle our tongue or hold it back, you know, control it, think before we speak, then we're wasting our time, basically, is what he's saying. And a lot of times, if we would just simply try to control ourselves and think before we speak those words out, then we could save a lot of heartbreak and a lot of scarred relationships between Christians and non-Christians both. Another passage in James chapter 1 is James 1, 19 and 20 on this on this topic. James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James says, be swift to hear, but be slow to speak. Think before you speak those words out, because like we said, once you speak them, they, you can't get them back. You know, a lot of times we get angry, and when we get angry, we think rashly. And when we're thinking rashly, we just say whatever we think. We don't take that time to just, you know, wait a second. Let's think before I say something here. And that can get us in a lot of trouble. But we've got to try our best to think and to control ourselves and have that self-control in our lives to speak kindly of one another and to build one another up instead of tearing each other down. You know, next time before you think about speaking to someone in a, in a way that will tear them down, that will be hurtful. Think about the people that were crucifying Jesus. Think about the words that they spoke to him. Turn with me to Matthew 27, beginning in verse 39. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 39. <clears throat> Here we read, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and, he, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with this same thing. You know, we often always talk about the physical torture that Jesus went through on our behalf. But how often do we think about the things that were said to him? Those words that cut like a knife. They were blaspheming him. They were not regarding him as the son of God. And even the thieves that hung with him on either side when he was crucified mocked him just the same. And a lot of times we don't realize it. But when we use that hurtful speech in our lives, we're no different than these people here. So next time you think about saying something like this, that would hurt another, or you're, you're getting angry and you can't control your speech, put yourself in the light of those who are crucifying Jesus, the things they were saying to him, how awful those things were. And remember that words can really hurt sometimes. Just remember what it's like when someone says something that hurts you. Those words, they just simply can't be taken back. You know, we've looked at tonight, we've looked at um, 
Three different kinds of ways we can use our speech through profanity, through lying, and through being hurtful that we can really cause a lot of damage in our relationships as Christians. But you know, as destructive as those words are, it's not the words themselves that are the source of the problem. It goes deeper than that. It's a person's heart that those words come from. Let's read the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And we'll begin in verse 35. Matthew 12 and verse 35. <clears throat> Here we read Jesus say, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In verse 35, Jesus says that out of the goodness of a man's heart bring forth good things, and likewise with evil. And I think our speech definitely goes just along with that. If, we have, if, we're, if we're trying to have that good heart, then we're going to bring forth those good things, and we're going to speak those good things. But if our heart is bad, then it can get us in a lot of trouble in that we can be saying things, and we will be saying things, that are, that are evil, and we simply can't do that. Our heart has to be right, and that's where it really boils down to it. But not only as Christians do we have a responsibility to avoid using our speech in ways that can cause damage, we also have to learn to use our speech in ways to build others up, and we have a responsibility to use our speech for good as Christians. Let's look at a few of these passages. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, this was the scripture reading we read earlier. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Here we read, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Use your speech for good. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth as a Christian, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. We've got to be building one another up. And if we'll use our speech constantly to be building others up and using it for good, then we won't have any time left to use our speech for those negative and bad things in our lives. Turn me also to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. I think this passage really sums, sums the whole thing up for me. Here we read, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others." I think that passage really sums the whole thing up. If we have the mindset that we are going to esteem others highly, more highly than ourselves, and we're going to put more stock into them than ourselves, and we're going to build them up, then that's going to be the right attitude that's going to get us where we need to be with our speech. We esteem others, we build them up, and we don't tear them down. Because when we do that, we're going to cause a lot of damage. Proverbs 25 and verse 11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. I think that's the truest statement, one of the truest statements I've ever heard. But the question tonight is, 
how are you using your words? Are you using them to build others up or are you using them to tear others down? Are you using those fitly spoken words which are so very precious and valuable or are you using those words that cause great destruction? You know, that great fire of 1910, it caused a lot of damage. It destroyed a lot of people's homes. It killed a lot of people. It caused a lot of terrible things as a result of that fire. But we've got to remember that that fire had very humble beginnings. And so we can do the same thing with our speech in our lives. We can use our speech to cause great destruction. And it may start small, but if we continue down that road, it's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's going to cause a lot of heartache for us and others in our lives. So how are you using your words? Think about that, because our words are so important. We've got to use them in the way that Christ would have us to. So tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you can become one tonight. God has a plan laid out in Scripture for us, and it's a very easy one, I believe, myself. We've got to believe His Word, and I'm sure that most of us here do not do. You've got to repent of your sins. You've got to have a complete change in mindset and action, trying your best each day to live for God. You've got to confess Christ before whoever would listen, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Afterwards, trying each and every day to the best of your ability to remain faithful to Him. That doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. Because you're simply going to. You're going to fall. But it's about continuing to get up when you fall. Because God will help you up if you will look for Him and continue to live that life for Him. Maybe you're here tonight and you are a Christian. But you've allowed your words, maybe, to get in your way and to cause you to stumble. God will forgive you of that if you'll repent of it. Whatever you need tonight, whether it's prayers of forgiveness or prayers for strength, we ask that you would come as we stand and sing.